0: and to tell inspirational cattails. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted to be back with you after a a rather extended and, and very long hiatus, and also after a much, much shorter, but still kind of long Trip, which I will tell you all about in a moment. Uh, but I am genuinely thrilled to be here with all of you again, and to wish you a happy what, what do we call this fall back day? Uh, for those of us in the United States, of course, uh, this week daylight savings time ends. Uh, for my listeners in Europe, for most of you, that actually happened a week ago. Um, I'm not really sure about South America and Asia or Australia for that matter, and and how that works. If you guys do daylight savings time, or if, uh, you you know, when when it begins and when it ends, if you do, I I have no idea. It's occurring to me now that that's a little ignorant on my part. And I should probably look that up when I'm done doing this. But anyway, for those of you who are falling back or in the process of uh, re-acclimating your cats to the the previous uh, hour back schedule, you have my... Sincere sympathies and and hopes for good luck in doing that. This is of course always every year, right? It's it's always a big trauma I find in my house, and and your mileage may vary. But in my house, uh, Clayton, who has an all wet food diet, and so I put food down for him at specific times. You know, very small quantities, or not very small, but suitable for his his age and size. I put down specific quantities of food for him. At specific times of the day, uh, one of those times being 5:30 in the morning, which is when I get up. And so every year, uh, when Clayton <laughs> believes that what is now, you know, what, what is now 4:30 is in fact 5:30, uh, it's it's a little bit dicey. It's it's a little bit tough in our house getting getting Clayton used to that. Although this year, I have to say, I lucked out. It was actually much better. And and that is because of the aforementioned trip that I will tell you guys about. Um, But before I even get into the trip, just to say that I was gone for three weeks, roughly, uh, nearly three weeks. Um, For the first week, Lawrence was with me. And so we had a pet sitter who came to feed Clayton twice a day. And she did come in the mornings to feed him, but she did not come over anywhere close to 530 In the morning. And of course, Clayton got the same amount of food over the course of the day as he would get were I home. He just got it at different times. And and that is that just is what it is. I I suppose I could pay someone to stay in the house with Clayton and who would then be able to feed him earlier. But even then, I don't think I could pay someone even if I could afford to pay someone to stay in the house with the cats, which really is just not feasible for me. But even if I were to spring on a luxury like that, I still don't think somebody staying in the house would be willing to get up at five 30 in the morning to feed Clayton. But anyway, so Lawrence was with me for the, for the first week of the trip. Then Lawrence came back home and I remained overseas for roughly another two weeks, just under two weeks. And Lawrence, so Lawrence, of course, was here, he was living in the house, he was able to feed the cats earlier than the pet sitter was doing. But Lawrence does not get up at 530 in the morning and was not going to do so now, for the sake of feeding Clayton at his preferred, insanely early feeding time. And he did get up earlier than he usually does. He wasn't trying to to, to kill Clayton or anything. But it was closer to 7am, which is a much more reasonable hour than it was to 5.30. So the upshot being that by the time I returned uh, late Monday night of this past week, all I had to do was, was, you know, so now Clayton had had three weeks roughly of acclimating to later feeding times. And all I really had to do was keep it going, um, which was actually a little bit tougher than you would think, only because my body has had a very hard time adjusting to the time change, not daylight savings time, but the time change from Europe, to the states in coming back, so I keep getting up at at like two or three in the morning, which would be eight or nine in the morning back in Albania where I was um, until Monday of this week. And again, I will tell you all about that in a minute. So I, you know, I, I do have to wait. You know, Clayton is like, "Oh, you're up. Let's go eat." And of course, I'm not going to start getting him used to to three a.m. feeding times, which would just be ridiculous. Um, but it still was easier than you would think because when Clayton realized I wasn't going to feed him immediately upon waking, he would he would hang out, he would sort of fall back asleep, and not wake up and demand food until closer to seven o'clock, uh, which is now closer to six o'clock now that the clocks have gone back. So we're, we're we we sort of uh, by accident it kind of worked out perfectly this year that Clayton got pre-adjusted to the time change. Uh, which I feel, as we go forward into this week, which is always a little bit of an adjustment when the clocks change, I think um, I think it's going to be a lot easier for all concerned, and I'm actually pretty psyched about that. So hooray! Uh, for those of you, however, who did not get to go away and and, and kind of pre-acclimate your own cats to the time change, I, I feel for you. I suffer as you suffer. I have suffered as you suffer now. Uh, you have my true sympathies. And I actually wrote a story about it that you can find in my, I mean, shameless plug for my own book, but in my story collection, Spray Anything, uh, there's a story called Daylight Cravings. And I, I wrote... a a story about just all the the difficulties that we've had with Clayton over the years in adjusting to the time change. Anyway, so that's a good six minutes (laughs) that we've been discussing the time change. We can move on because I'm sure you are more curious to hear about the trip that took me away for three weeks, or, or maybe you are not curious about it, um, but it actually does tie into my work with animals and with writing and, and animal rescue. Um, it, it kind of ties in with everything that I do. So it is actually relevant to the proceedings. Um, it was not a three-week luxury European vacation. Um Although there was one week of vacation. But anyway, so, so just to back up and, and go to the beginning where this all started, um, and I have to go back to 2018 and Catfest in London. Uh, I met some of you actually who listen to the podcast, I know, or, or some of my, my London friends and, and some of you I met in person at that event. And in addition to which, I also met at that event a woman named Sean Simons. Who was the found at the time? Who was the founder and was at the time the executive director of a cat rescue organization in Los Angeles called Miss Kitty's Bungalow and Charm School for Wayward Cats, or maybe it's Finishing School? I think it's Charm School. Um, you can look that up when I'm finished. I encourage you to do so. It's actually a great organization, and what they do is they they trap feral cats, um, spay and neuter. Uh, all of them. Um, ones who clearly cannot be socialized, and that is the case with many feral cats. They, they then return after they have spayed and neutered them. But cats who show promise of being able to be socialized, they work with them to socialize the cats and then find loving homes for them, which is, of course, the best case scenario. I personally prefer TNR, obviously, to outright euthanization. But the, the dream scenario, right, is, is a home for every cat and a cat in every home. And so that is what they do. And so I met Sean at, at Cat, the, the first Cat Fest, and we chit-chatted a little about what she does and what I do. And and again, in 2019, when we met at, at the second Cat Fest in London, um, Lawrence and I went to LA at one point. Lawrence was there for a business trip, and I tagged along. And we went to meet Sean and and to see the, the, the shelter itself, where she works with the cats, or worked with the cats at the time. And at the time, Sean was talking about this dream that she and her husband had, which was to buy a large tract of land in Albania and create a a sort of artist colony on it. Um, You know, kind of like an early retirement plan. And, of course, to work with rescue animals in the area, Albania being a country that has pretty desperate needs when it comes to animal rescue, which I will talk about in a little bit. And... So anyway so I knew that this was something she was doing and and the the last time I saw her again I you know met her a couple of times and the last time I saw her was at Catfest in London in 2019 and and she and her husband were were they had bought the land they were officially I think they'd already moved to Albania actually at that point. Um and then she called me and and we had a couple of of email exchanges during that time. We we did not become the best of friends by by any means. Um, you know, everybody's caught up in their own lives and has their own work and their own projects. We she did catch up with me though in 2021. She reached out to me and wanted to know if I would be willing to lead a writing retreat at what which what, what is now called Bota Farms, which is the property she and her husband bought in Albania and her idea was to to create a wellness and creativity retreat for writers and use the funds that were generated from the retreat to 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 fund a spay and neuter program for street dogs and cats in Albania and so Sean approached me about doing this, and I said yes. It it did not really occur to me until much later than it should have that I was agreeing to to go um, really into the middle of nowhere, into a very remote part of Albania, which is itself a very remote and sparsely populated country. And to do so, uh, putting myself basically in the hands of someone who I did not know particularly well. And the only thing I can tell you um, is that, in addition to it sounding like an interesting project, and and my general interest in traveling to places, I'll you know my philosophy is I'll go anywhere, basically that I haven't already been. Um, that I, I have an implicit trust in in people who work in rescue, and I realize, as in any industry or any any type of industry, there are of course bad apples. Uh, there are some unethical people, I suppose, who work in rescue. I am fortunate enough to not really have encountered any such people, but I also know that a lot of you who who really work on the ground in rescue, who are yourselves active rescuers, who volunteer with organizations, who who are actually the ones bringing in animals and and feeding and medicating the animals that are brought in, probably... I've seen a few more bad apples over the years than I have. Um, I suppose I remain a little bit naive. But anyway, it it, it did end up working out for the best. It, It was a great trip. So Lawrence and I decided to go to Greece to spend a week in Greece first because Greece borders on Albania. And I had never been to Greece, and of course, I wrote a book called Homer's Odyssey, and I named Homer after the blind poet Homer, as I am sure most of you listening to this know. Um, I, I think I've made reference at, at previous podcasts to having been the captain of my high school mythology bowl team, and so so you know visiting the 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 Acropolis, seeing the Parthenon, uh, visiting Delphi, all that sort of uh, the you know the great ruins, the the, the mythological touchstones, let's say, the, the the physical spaces that those stories were based around or took place in has always been a dream of mine, I, really since I was a little girl and first discovered Greek myths. And it was a promise that I made to myself, and I've been fortunate enough to, to take many wonderful trips and see some incredible things, but I had not yet made it to Greece. So Lawrence and I did a down and dirty week in in Athens. I say down and dirty because we really did do it on the cheap, Um And we stayed in a hotel that that I I found this hotel um, in the middle of Athens that that cost $50 a night um, and, and was worth every penny. Let's say um, it, it was very, I mean, it was clean. It was safe. It was centrally located, which was really all I was looking for. Um, and the good news was that the rooms were so small and uncomfortable that it really did push you to be out of doors and exploring the city. So, um, which we did, we we were out, we were out of doors. We, we spent long, long days out of doors and, and saw some really cool stuff. And I got to see the Oracle at Delphi and, and fulfill my lifelong dream. Um, one of the difficult things, of course, of, of visiting Greece and of visiting Athens is that there are so many feral cats and stray cats. And when you get out of Athens, you also see a lot of stray dogs in the countryside. Um, you know, in Athens, it was actually okay. Um, all of the cats that we saw, they were adult cats. They looked healthy and well-fed, they did not appear to be particularly miserable. There was only one exception to that. Um, and, I, and I wrote a story about it on my Patreon page, and I actually made this story available to everyone, whether or not they are a subscriber to, you know, or a member of my Patreon community. And I encourage you to to check out that story because there was only one and only one cat I saw who was in very bad shape. Um, it was very very upsetting to 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 see this. Uh, my husband and I were eating at a restaurant, and, and to see this, and and to think that there was nothing I could do for this cat. Fortunately for me, um, a nearby shop owner, I, I, I a nearby shop owner put out a plate of food for the cat. I talked to her. She pulled in another shop owner. the, the two of them actually rescue cats. And so we, we, we kind of worked together to, to trap this cat and get her to a veterinarian. And so that, that, I, there, there's much more to the story. But again, I, I did write about it at some length. And I encourage you to go to patreon.com. And that's like the word patron, but with an E in it. So it's P as in Peter, A, T as in Thomas, R as in Robert, E-O-N as in Nancy.com slash Gwen Cooper. And that's all one word. Patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper. And I did make this one story public. So this is most of the content on my Patreon page is only for patrons, but this is one bit of content that is available to everybody. And I encourage you to check it out. Um, so Lawrence and I, we, we went to Athens, we spent a few, you know, a few, about five days in Athens, and then we went to Corfu, and which is one of the Ionian islands, and it's, so it's in the Ionian Sea, so kind of to, to the north and west of mainland Greece. And the reason we went to Corfu and not to Santorini or Mykonos or one of the, or Idra, one of the other more popular tourist islands is because Corfu is a short ferry ride from Saranda in Albania. And the place where I was going in Albania is about 20 minutes up in the mountains, but away from Saranda. So I I basically was able to take a 30 minute ferry from Corfu to Saranda. And then, um, Sean and her husband picked me up in Saranda and brought me to Bota Farms. It was very sad. And Lawrence went from Corfu back to Athens and then flew back to, to New Jersey. Um, and it was actually a really sad parting. I'm a little embarrassed to say, you know, so we, we both left the hotel at the same time that morning. I, I got us two separate cabs, one cab going to the airport and one cab that went to the ferry terminal. And, you know, the cabs were were driving in tandem for a while. And then Lawrence's cab made a left. And my cab made a right, and and we disappeared from view. And I swear to God, I was bawling like an idiot in the back of the cab. You would you would think that one of us was going off to the wars, and and it was uncertain when or even if we would see each other again. As opposed to you know my being gone for roughly twelve twelve days, and the certainty of returning home at the end of those twelve days. Uh, and it, I I don't know what to tell you. Although I will say in my own defense. That this is by far the longest that I've been away from from Lawrence and absolutely from my cats, um, and I really would love to know what the cats thought when Lawrence came home without me, and then I proceeded not to come home for another twelve days. And I, I you know, I wonder if they if they were wondering if like did Lawrence off me on the trip or get rid of me in some way. Um, but anyway, my time in Albania it, it was. Albany, so Albania is is beautiful. The place Bota Farms. I will start out by saying is absolutely beautiful. It, it's a huge pro, uh, piece of land. Um, it's in the mountains. The land itself is sort of hilly, but you walk around, and every so often, like like the the, the ground kind of drops away, and and you are left with these incredible views of of valleys around the area where, where Bota Farms is located. So it's sort of like at like it like at the top of a of a foothill, and on various sides, you just get these incredible views of the valleys below and, and farmers and shepherds with their sheep and goat herders. Um, Albania is also though, in addition to being beautiful, it's a very poor country. Uh, It is absolutely one of the poorest countries that I've ever been to. And of course, where there's poverty, there will almost always be profound animal suffering. Um, the, the cats that I saw in, in Athens, as I said, they all, they all at least they, they were adult cats that I saw. They looked healthy and well fed. I'm sure obviously there were kittens or there couldn't have been adult cats. Um, I did not see them, but the cats that I did see did not appear to be struggling. Whereas the cats and, and the many stray dogs um, that I saw in Albania were were suffering. And that was tough to see. Most of my time was spent on Bota farms, um, but the time that we did spend on excursions uh, beyond the farm, um, yes, we we, we saw a lot of animals who were not in great shape. I um, stocked up early on 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 cans of tuna and salmon and I, I would just kind of open them. You know, wherever I saw, um, like a mama cat and kittens or or just some cats who, who looked like they, they needed the help, I, I would open the cans. And then Sean, you know, a lot, I mean, the thing is, too, and, and I found this interesting, the difference between feral cats here in America and in the United States. So I'm sure a lot of you have fed feral cats. Uh, in, in, you know, here in the States or perhaps in, in the UK, wherever it is you're listening from, you you may have fed feral cats at some point. And you are probably familiar with the dynamic where, and this was the case with me, there was a feral cat who I was feeding uh, for about a year on my back deck. And he would sit on the, on the deck and wait for me. I would come out with a bowl of food, at which point he would leave the deck and retreat to sort of a safe distance where he could keep an eye on me, but where I could not, if I, you know, wanted to grab him, I, I would not be able to reach him at all. And it would only be when I went back into the house that he would then come back to the deck and eat his food. Um, and the point being that in my experience, feral cats, even hungry feral cats who want you to feed them and want your food will be very wary, at least at first, that it really is a process of, of time of getting them to come close to you and. Um, Whereas I can say in Albania, I mean, they just, they would just come right up to you. It was, and they, they were, they were, they weren't hungry. They were starving. They were starving. And they would, I mean, they, they didn't care. They, they were willing to risk whatever you might be planning to do to them and luring them with food just for the sake of getting them the food. And, and it sounds like an an odd thing perhaps to, to, to make you more upset, but, but it, it did just to see how willing how much they didn't care about anything, even their personal safety. All they cared about was the food in my hand. Um, The good news is that because they were easy to, to, to get to basically the Sean, who was with me on these excursions, you know, we would make a note of, of where these cats were. And then she would be able to go back with her traps and, and materials and, and trap them. And, and so, I got to see some of the money that I was raising by teaching this, this retreat at work. Um, You know, I taught for free, by the way. So, so any salary that I would have made, I donated back to, to the cause. And, and so that was good and worthwhile. I will also say that spending time on Bota farms itself after be, you know, and, and I'm talking about the cats. I'm not even talking about the dogs and stray dogs are almost more upsetting to see because we all have a sense that a feral cat who is in good health and has access to food is probably doing okay. Whereas dogs, it just seems they're not, they're not meant to be strays. You know, dogs are really are meant to live with people. And all of the stray dogs that I encountered during my time, both in Greece, I encountered a few stray dogs, and then in Albania were... Also, just so sweet and so friendly, you know, you, you would touch them and they would immediately roll onto their backs with their, their paws up, just wanting you to rub their bellies. Um, the good thing about being on, on Bota Farms, and, and I've heard many people over the years say, you know, when I, when my dream is to retire. And if I won the lottery, I would buy a big piece of land and I would just fill it with rescue animals. That's what I would do. I would have nothing but 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 cats and dogs and rescue animals and and as many as needed a place I would have a place for. And so the, to some extent this is what Sean and her husband have done. There there were many wonderful rescue dogs and cats and and chickens and goats and even a donkey, a rescue donkey, all living on the property and so it, it was very heartening after being out and and seeing so many stray animals in need to come back to a place where so many formerly stray animals had found a loving home and were happy and healthy and being well taken care of and you know it, it it is the reminder that that there is only so much you can do but every little bit does matter you know truly it and and we always say this in rescue saving one animal is not the same thing as saving the world but it means the world to that one animal who you have saved. And and to me that is the true meaning behind the Talmudic um, expression that I that I frequently repeat that to save a single life is to save the world entire. And be, because every life is a life of infinite meaning and infinite possibility and, and and potentially infinite joy. And and that is what it means. To be a rescuer is to create that Um, not for every animal. It it can never be for any animal, every animal, but, but every animal you can rescue is, is meaningful. And, and so that part of it was great. It was also great, by the way, to lead this writing workshop. Um, So I had five students uh, from around the world, um, from Seattle, Berlin, Amsterdam, Paris um, one gentleman lives on a boat that he just sails around Europe uh, the the woman though who I had crazy respect for uh, most of the, the the students were young um, this woman was about my I mean like in their 20s I would say early 30s um, this one woman though uh, from Seattle she's around my age maybe a few years older so she's in her mid 50s and she had one of those you know hot shot high-powered corporate jobs and she had spent her whole life working her way up the ladder and had finally gotten to this VP position that she'd been aiming for for years. And she was making great money um, and got there and realized that she was miserable and hated the job. And so (laughs) two weeks, you know, within the two weeks preceding this retreat, she quit her job in Seattle um, decided that she wanted to revive her lifelong dream of writing and had booked herself into this 10-day writing retreat in Albania. And I, I joked with her, like, how did your <laughs> – that was a lot of news to give your husband all at once, you know, to come home and say, okay, so I've quit my job. I'm no longer VP of whatever at blah, blah, blah corporation. Um, I would like to try being a writer. And I am leaving to spend 10 days in Albania. Studying the craft of writing. <laughs> and I was like, was, was your husband like, sure, whatever, that sounds great. Um, because I feel like my husband would feel like, okay, wait, wait, I feel like I, I missed a couple of steps here, I, catch me up. Um, but anyway, I, I thought that was amazing. She, I was I really, I told her repeatedly, I said, you're my hero. That That's just such a big and bold decision to make with your life. Um, but it was great. Uh, the, there was actually some genuine talent among the writers who I was working with. I, I think I had an idea that there might not be, um, and that it could be a very long ten days of working to make better writers out of people who probably should be working on something else. But um, the 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 writers were were great, and it was a great group, and we all kind of coalesced with each other. we We formed we formed a very nice group. Um, which was a good thing because again, we were in a very remote place um, with with nobody but each other. and and so it could have been a very long ten day retreat had we not liked each other. Um, but it was good. and it it was it, it reconnected me to my own writing, which was also very good. Um, and by the way, this brings me in, and and I've been talking for a long time here, and we do actually have an interview coming up with Patreon supporter and fascinating human being. I should say Patreon supporter, cat rescuer, and all around fascinating human being, Patty Ackerman. I actually recorded this interview with Patty around six months ago, and. Then, for various reasons, and I will talk about that in a future episode, um, ended up taking this very long hiatus from the the podcast. Um, so we will be talking to Patty Ackerman, but the. Bigger news that I have is that I do have um, a new book coming out in a couple of weeks, just in time for holiday shopping. And it is the follow-up to Possum, the book of Possum. And this book is called You Are Possum, Reasons Why Your Cats Love You and Why Loving Them Back Makes You a Better Human. And I am looking for early readers. And so early readers uh, get a free advanced ebook copy of the book. In exchange for a promise to leave an Amazon review of the book the day that it launches. Now, obviously, getting this, this early advanced ebook copy does not preclude you from eventually getting your own print copy if you want a print copy or a formal Kindle, you know, the, the actually formal, laid out, beautiful looking ebook copy that you can eventually get from um, your preferred retailer. Uh, but it does give you an, an early shot at reading the book. And and if all you want is to read it and you don't care about having the print copy, then you get a copy of it for free. I mean, you get a copy of it for free either way and you get to read it before anybody else does. And you get to help me out a little because obviously the goal is is to have a lot of activity on the book's Amazon page the day that it comes out. Because if Amazon sees, oh, hey, it looks like a lot of people are are checking out this book, reading it, reviewing it. Um, they are more likely to recommend it to people who might be interested in reading it. So you see, I'm giving you guys a little bit of uh, inside baseball here and and letting you know a little bit how publishing works. Um, possibly you, you don't care at all. <laughs> Very probably you don't care at all. Uh, but if that is something, if you would be interested in being an early reader, and by the way, it's not just for this book. I'm, I'm starting an early reader program and it's going to be for future books, including the Homer Whodunit series. So feel free to email me, gwen at gwencooper.com. Include the phrase early reader in your subject line. And if this is something you would be interested in doing, let me know. And I will have something for you this week. I should say, by the way, this week, I will have an advanced copy of the book for you this week. So if you would like to read a new book by me within the next couple of days, um, shoot me an email, gwen at gwencooper.com. Again, you get it early, you get it free. And the only thing you have to do is promise me that you leave a, a even a, a short one-sentence review of the book. On And by the way, that's what I mean. When I say you leave an Amazon review, it could just be a star rating, and uh, I really loved reading this, definitely recommend it to cat lovers. Or if you did not like it, you may certainly say that as well. But the point being, you don't have to write a book report one or two sentences is just fine. Um, I just ask that you do it on the day that the book comes out. So shoot me an email if that is something you think you'd be interested in. And on that note, we are going to take a a brief break. And when we return, we will be speaking with cat rescuer, cat mom, fascinating person, extraordinaire, Patty Ackerman. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up with a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. You know, I always say that one of the greatest things about writing books about my cats is that it has brought me together with so many outstanding humans. And today's guest, uh, who is also a member of my Patreon community, by the way, is a case in point. Born in Germany to a US military family, she lived in Germany, Indiana, Taiwan, Kansas, Virginia, Colorado, and Hawaii all before the age of 18, at which time she joined the Women's Army Corps, which was soon abolished and funneled into the regular Army, as an arts and crafts specialist. She retired from the Army on physical disability at the age of 19, went to college, and subsequently became an accountant for the Army Corps of Engineers, where she worked for 30 years. In 2001, she adopted her first cat from the Siamese Cat Rescue Center, or SCRC, and started volunteering for them as well. She managed a monthly sewing bee that made cat beds for the SCRC, which they sold to assist with their fundraising efforts. And during her 17 years of volunteer work with the SCRC, her sewing bee made and donated more than 12,000 cat beds. She retired from the Corps of Engineers in 2011 and started a long arm quilting business. And she currently works from home quilting for others. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, she finds the time to take care of her cats, Nikolaka and Koa. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to the impressive and inspiring Patty Ackerman. Hello, Patty. Thank you for finding the time to join us today. Oh, you're welcome. I- I'm literally tired just having read that bio. <laughs> I, I, it's, and, and I have to, you know, as I was putting this bio together, I was thinking that it would be hard for me to imagine anyone whose biography would be more completely opposite from mine because my mom still lives in the same house that she and my dad bought before I was born. I mean, my family has just never moved anywhere. Um, I I was not, and I know something about, and we will talk about this, the incident that led to your retiring on disability at the age of 19, but suffice it to say that my mother never signed the permission slip for me when I had to take shop class that would have allowed me to use any of the tools. And, um, and as far as me and accounting goes, I, I, I pay gladly pay someone to take care of all that for me because, Oh my God, do I just, uh, not so, so really, I, I think the only thing, I think part of the reason I find you to be such an interesting person is because other than our shared love of cats, there really is no, other. there's just no other intersection.
1: <laughs> uh, See, and, and when I retired from the government, I missed accounting so much. I became a treasurer for the Quilt Guild. And, you know, yeah. I, I just can't stand not having my hands in Excel. You can't
0: stand not having math to do, which is just right. really something. That it would be like me saying, I just, I can't stand not slamming my hand repeatedly in a car door. But <laughs> like I I just uh but you know, this is the the thing that makes our our wonderful world keep spinning round and round is is all our delightful differences for me too. So um so so let's talk about I mean I definitely want to get into to cats because okay certainly you you adopted your first cat a little bit later I think than than most cat lovers
1: do. And I want to talk about oh well before. I had cats I had cats all the time when we were growing up. I mean um had my first Siamese cat when we moved to Taiwan. Um, The house that we were being um, moved into came with the cat. Uh, She was pregnant. And so the people who had lived there before couldn't take her with them. And so we inherited uh, Mama San.
0: And and this was in
1: Taiwan or was Mm -hmm. this somewhere? Okay. Yep. That was in Taiwan. And uh, so that I was only like five years old then. So uh, that's when I got my first Siamese cat. And, and then we always had cats growing up. Every every place we lived, we had a cat. <laughs> uh, it's uh, that that's actually you know cats are I
0: guess born a uh, born wanderer, so that that makes a certain amount of sense. You know, if you are kind of like in Breakfast at Tiffany's, if you are yep. if you are an adventurous spirit, then then cats are sort of your your spirit animal. Um, and and so did you have Siamese cats specifically in between this first Siamese cat when you were five years old and the Siamese cat you adopted in two
1: thousand and one. Um I had in 2001 that was the first one I rescued. I had a bonded pair that we had bought from a breeder um that had passed away. I got Actually no. I I'm I'm wrong there. When I was in college, um an old boyfriend brought me a, a Siamese kitten um as an apology for something and uh so he brought me a Siamese cat, and uh, that one was more or less pure Siamese. And then two weeks later, we decided that uh, that cat needed a buddy because you know if you're gone to school all day and the cat just sleeps all day, a kitten, then when you come home and you want to do homework, he wants to play, <laughs> and it's uh, kind of hard to study. So we got him a. a a buddy. And that one was half Siamese. Um, Most half Siamese are what they call snowshoes. They end up with uh, most of your dark points, but they usually have a smudge of white on their face and white paws.
0: Now, before, and, and I really do want to talk cats with you, but before we get there, I, I feel yeah. like I've alluded to something, and I don't want to leave the mystery just lying on the table. <laughs> um, and, and so, and this was, I mean, you, you, you told me the story of how okay. you ended up on disability, uh, retiring on disability at the age of 19, having joined the Army at the age of 18. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I, I've given a little bit away in saying that this was the exact scenario. That was the reason why my mother would not sign the permission slip when I was in middle school. That would have allowed me to use. And this is literally true of my middle school. I had to take shop. But the par- in order to use any of the tools, the parents had to sign permission slips to use, you know, the saws and band saws and, and what, just the, the power tools and the non-power tools. And uh, I mean, even the hammers. And my mother would not sign the permission slip, so I, I, I spent I spent a semester sitting on a chair watching other people take shop class, uh, which was okay, I guess. Although to this day I am I am somewhat inept with tools, so I'm not sure that it really worked out for the best. But but please do share with us. And I guess I should you know give a trigger warning, um, but but tell us the story of how well, you ended up in disability at 19.
1: Well. Um, I was at work one day, and I I taught people how to build furniture in a woodcraft shop. Um, It was the cushiest job the military used to offer. They obviously do not have that anymore. Um, And one fateful Friday the 13th, while teaching the safe and proper use of power tools to a class, I ran my hand into the saw and um lost one finger and um had another one badly injured where they had to pin it. And the way that- I'm
0: sorry, in the moment that that, that <laughs> happened, I, I mean is it one of those because I imagine you sort of go in one of two directions. You either are are shrieking in pain and horror. Or your mind just, you kind of go into shock and, and you know, so so what was your, upon realizing that you had put your hand through the saw, um, and I imagine you realized fairly quickly that you had made this mistake. I Um, did not
1: look. I did not look at it. I just grabbed my hand and walked away from the class and went into the back office. And quite honestly, it happens so fast. Right. And this gets a little gruesome, but um, I did not cut the finger off. I cut it up the middle. So it was all still attached, just kind of hamburgered. And so the class, there actually was not even a drop of blood on the saw. The class had no idea what happened. They didn't know why I walked away. They were like, where's she going? (laughs) And... (laughs) And then as you were carted out,
0: I would imagine, into and, and to some sort of emergency medical facility, they probably put it together, I'm guessing. Well,
1: um, I just went in the back office and they tried calling the hospital and the hospital wanted to take down a full medical report. And they hung up on them and said, we'll get her there. And so they just put me in the van and drove me over there. And, and again,
0: this is the, this is the exact scenario why my mother would not sign <laughs> the permission slip for me to use any of the. I mean, I was 12 at the time and not particularly skilled, uh, you know, with tools of any kind. Uh, but you were obviously very skilled and it really does go to show that you are never so good at anything that you don't have to be careful and pay attention. I mean, accidents happen to the best professionals.
1: Well, and, and my father, when I called my father, he said, You've been using saws all your life. How could you do something that's stupid? That's <laughs> and, right. And I just said, you know, I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, <laughs> you know, fair enough. But quite honestly, you know, it, it ended up being the smartest, stupid thing I ever did in my life because they retired me on a physical disability. And then they paid my way through Scott, through college, lock, stock and barrel uh, for vocational rehabilitation. Well, that is that, you
0: know, as my grandmother used to say, it is an ill wind that blows nobody any good uh, by which, you know, which is, I guess, another way of saying that every cloud is a silver lining, right? That that yeah. even, the, even the worst of circumstances benefit somebody. And uh, so it sounds like like you certainly ultimately, albeit in a painful and somewhat horrifying way, uh, managed
1: to, to to work out a, a best case scenario for yourself out of all of yes. this. Yes. And, and, you know, it's funny, you, you think about the things in your life that, um, large or small, things that really changed your life. And obviously that's one of them for me. Um, but another one was adopting Thumper from the Siamese Cat Rescue because-
0: Oh, what, um, a, what a wonderful segue. We, we call it a know. segue in the business, by the way. And so what a perfect segue into the life-changing decision that you made to adopt your cat thumper in 2001. So why don't you tell us a little bit
1: about that? Well, we had, um, when, you know, I, I mentioned that in college, I had two kittens and they lived, they lived quite a while. Um, they had horrible names. Their names were Ratso Bratnick and Bratso Ratnick. And so they were (laughs) Rat and Brat, for short, you know. Was
0: that, was that before? After? I'm just. I'm thinking about Ratzo Rizzo from Midnight Cowboy. Was that in any way an allusion to to no. uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, or just a pure no. coincidence?
1: No, it was just college, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, with those two, when when Brat passed away, um, Rat mourned to death. Uh, literally, he um, we tried getting him another cat and he wanted very much to bond with her and she basically said go away and leave me alone.
0: I think that's uh you know it's it's something that I, I don't think is is discussed often enough. Uh, we, we talk a lot about how much it pains us to to lose our cats. And I think anybody who has ultimately been through it and come out the other side realizes that it is not just your own loss, but it's a loss to the family, including to your other Cats and uh mm-hmm. you know, and I always I mean I remember so vividly, and I've written about this when we lost our cat scarlet Homer really mourned that loss, he became like a little old man, sort of yep. overnight. And scarlet did, I mean, I always say the irony of this, Scarlet did not like Homer at all. Had Homer gone for Scarlet would have been more than fine. <laughs> and it was, I mean, I sometimes wished I could have told Homer, you know, she didn't really, she wasn't really your friend. She, she didn't really like, she didn't certainly didn't love you. Like I love you. Um, but Homer thought they were best friends. He really did. And I, it was always kind of funny to see, to watch the difference in, in how they perceived their mutual relationship, each of them. But, um, but, but it can
1: really be heartbreaking to, to it, witness a cat that you love going through grief. It is. And he literally died. Less than two months later. Oh, poor thing. And um, so when we had um, another bonded pair, uh, one that we had uh, gotten from a breeder and they were about seven years old and Corey, the one that we had gotten to try and keep Rat alive, uh, finally passed away. Um, We didn't want them to get older and not to have, you know, for one of them to pass and not to have someone else to bond with. So we went to the Siamese cat rescue and, um, I had found out about them at a cat show a year earlier. And I knew Corey was, was, uh, going to be leaving us soon. She'd already had two strokes and she was deaf and blind and, you know, um, so we, uh, we went online the night before and Tom was looking at all the cats they had online. And he, he knows I have an affinity for the snowshoes. Um Brat was a snowshoe and he just loved me to death. And uh, so. Now, and, and I
0: want to talk because people, I think, um, often think of Siamese cats. You know, when you think of cats in general, there are always these people who think of cats as, as aloof or fussy or, or both, certainly both of those things. And I think that Siamese cats, in particular, because they're so vocal, really have a reputation as being complainers. Um, and yeah, I mean, the first cat that I ever fell in love with was a Siamese, uh, who I ever really bonded with and and who led to my adopting cats, although I never ended up adopting a Siamese cat, Um but, uh, you know, and I, and I know that your first cat was a Siamese. I mean, it, was that the source of the affinity or, or is there something specific about the appearance or personalities of Siamese cats that really drew you
1: in? I love their voice. I like that they talk. They do talk. They are talkative. They are very and, talkative. And they will talk back to you. You know, you talk to them and they talk back. Um, although it's funny because right now one of the ones I have, Koa, and he is the one that's pure Siamese and he doesn't say a word ever.
0: Well, you know, some some are. Oh, I mean, with as, like with people, right? Some people yep. are very talkative, and some people not so much. And um, and then Homer, who is not at all Siamese, but super talkative. We used to have conversations with each other all day long. And uh, well,
1: so. Nikolaka talks, but he does not have what I call a Siamese voice. He um, he has a a normal cat voice, and um, but anyway, we decided we wanted to um adopt another cat and Tom like I said knows I, I really like the snowshoes they're they're a little more affectionate than a the Siamese um, they they definitely bond to a person and um, want that person there all the time and so we uh, went down to the rescue well he like I said he looked online and he saw a picture of thumper and he's a little anal so he he was like, "Well, we can't get Thumper because his facial markings—they're not symmetrical. They're really off balance to one side." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay." Uh-huh. Oh,
0: but this—I mean, see, I think like I—I I have to say, maybe it's because my 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 little sister when she was a baby was very cross-eyed. And so, I mean, there are pictures of her really like as a chubby baby, you can't even walk with glasses and a cross eye. And I always think it's the cutest thing. Like I remember when I was a little girl. So I still find asymmetrical features and crossed eyes and things
1: like that to just be insanely adorable, especially in cats. So we get down to the rescue and um, it really comes down to uh, two cats that are there. And the other one was a female, which, you know, we just had a bad experience with our only female. Um, the fact that she wouldn't bond with anybody. <laughs> and, um, this one was very, very playful and, and very active. And we were just afraid that she was going to be a little more than the boys could handle it. And, uh, Thumper on the other hand, he had never been a um, socialized with people. He'd been socialized with our cats. He was from a backyard breeder, and he loved other cats, just absolutely loved them. So Tom finally said, okay, we can, we can get Thumper. So we got Thumper. We actually got a discount on Thumper because he had some intestinal issues at that point. They were afraid he might, even though they would tested and tested and they couldn't find any worms, they were afraid he still had some. So uh, we had him tested again, but it turned out that his, uh, irritable bowel was just being caused by, um, being at a, in a rescue with, um, too many people around. Sure. And I mean, the soon stress as of he it. was at home. As soon as he was at home, it all went away, but we isolated him for about a week. And, uh, after we'd gotten in to see the vet and she said, everything was fine. We, um, let him out and is really funny. We have a bay window in our bedroom and there were two round cat beds in the window. And this was before I started making cat beds. So they weren't the one kind I made, but one was small and one was large. My two cats, Kokolika and Kalima, were always in the small bed together. The large bed had never been touched. So the second we let thumper out of isolation, the two cats went one in each bed and neither one would let him in. I I felt like I
0: knew where this was going. That's so mean. That's like the middle school kids who don't let you like you're the new kid and they won't let you sit at their table in the cafeteria at lunch.
1: Yep. So you think about it, you got a bay window that's straight and you got two round beds. There's a little triangle up there next to the window so Thumper went into the triangle and just sat there and just kept oozing into one bed a little at a time. And eventually <laughs> they said, okay. And then all three of them are in the small bed. The big bed never is used again, ever. So have have you ever stopped to ask yourself
0: what it is about that big bed that makes it so unappealing to cats? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, is there something uh, about the material that, you know, I, I honestly, all kidding aside, I would be willing to bet, you know, because cats do like that feeling of being in a small kind of uh, embracing yeah. sort of space, and maybe it's just too big for them.
1: It could be, but let me tell you, that small bed, it was too small. You should see, <laughs> I have pictures, I'll send you one, legs up in the air everywhere. It's it's hilarious.
0: Oh, please do send me a picture. I'll use it. Uh, I'll put it with the artwork for this episode. That, that sounds okay. like a perfect image, actually. Um, and yeah.
1: so, you know we ended up with, with him. Um, and eventually he suddenly decided people, people are kind of good. Yeah. I think I like people. And he bonded with me like no cat I have ever had. This cat would look at me with pure love in his (laughs) eyes. That is the best that that really is the
0: the very, very best. It's
1: just amazing. I mean, he, he would sit there and, and just, he, he'd come up, he had no voice whatsoever. Um, And he would come up and want to get in my lap. And he'd put his feet up on the arm of the uh, recliner and he'd sit there going "Ah, ah, ah," (laughs) like a little kid. And you'd say, come on up. And he'd get in my lap. And his favorite thing in the whole world was if I was doing handwork on sewing and he would get in my lap and he'd, Sit there while I'm using a needle and thread, but he never tried to catch the thread or anything else. He was just happy being there. He'd either sit in my lap or sit on my shoulder, or, you know, I have a thousand pictures of him helping me sew. Even when I would use the computer during the day, he'd lay across my arms and his little head be bobbing all over the place, but he had to be in my lap. And it was crazy.
0: It always seems like these, you know, the 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 meant to be adoption stories always start with some sort of an obstacle like, you know, a husband saying oh this is definitely not the cat for us before yeah. before anything else is even considered and uh you know I I always wonder if if that is part of what makes that eventual love feel so much more intense that there was some obstacle to be overcome or if if it's almost like like the way that fate works that you're supposed to, it's almost like somebody wants you to stop and pay attention to what's happening as opposed to just taking it for granted just this thing that's happening in in the flow of your regular life because mm-hmm. it it is this really meaningful moment and meaningful connection. And I know. I mean, I, I'm guessing because I know that that your email address incorporates Thumper's name, <laughs> and and so that that this is you know people talk about their soul cat, and and they mean you know by that the cat that among the, the all the cats who they have loved, the one who they would say they've probably been the closest with or felt the strongest emotional bond with. So I'm guessing that Thumper was that cat for you.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And um, how old was he when you adopted him? He was about. Two. I mean, do you know anything of what his life was like before he ended
1: up at the shelter? No, like I said, he he came from a backyard breeder. And yeah. um, so, so probably nothing good had happened to him. No, before. he was probably about a he wasn't even a year and a half when he ended up in the in the rescue. He'd actually been in the rescue for uh quite a while, uh, because he did not have adoption 101 down at all. He uh when we finally said we wanted to adopt him, we had to dig him out from behind a trash can. <laughs> he uh, He just, like I said, was never socialized with people wasn't uh, wasn't into pe- people at all, but he loved other cats and since that's what we were trying to do was make sure that the other cats had a, had somebody to bond with, that seemed like the perfect match.
0: That's actually really interesting. And and I don't know that I've heard of too many cats who have that personality, first of all. I mean, I've heard of cats who are just not social. And then, I mean, like my cat Clayton is very social. He likes, he loves his sister. He loves people, you know. Mm -hmm. And then there were cats like my cat Scarlett, who definitely didn't like people, but also didn't really like other (laughs) cats. I used to say she was like the anti-cat cat. You know, that, that, that life would be great oh, if I just didn't have all these stupid cats around here all the time, I think, was, was the way Scarlett always felt. Um, but it seems like it's, you know, maybe a little unusual for a cat to not just be bonded with one specific cat, but to love other cats. I mean, yep. to be social in that sense, even if if very antisocial
1: with people. Well, I think, like I said, because he was locked up with other cats when when he was young. I mean, it also sounds really to me. Knew. Like you said that, that
0: he eventually, once he came around, he really came around hard in terms of liking people, but he was probably innately a social cat who just didn't have good experiences with people uh, before you adopted him.
1: Yeah. He had never really been with people before that. And, you know, they, they work very hard at the rescue to um, try to socialize the cats but it's a it's a tough situation. And, you know, if you have to go dig a cat out every time you want to try and socialize him, dig him out from behind things. Well,
0: it was just a very um, stressful environment for him in general, clearly. I mean, considering the yeah. stomach upset that he was going forth, mm-hmm. poor, oh, poor thing. Oh, I'm so happy you adopted him. I really am. Like, like hearing the story. <laughs> I know this all happened a very long time ago, but I I'm, I am, uh, you know, very happy for him in the present as I am hearing this story that uh, that, that you adopted him. And he obviously yeah. had a very loving little heart and he just needed the right environment in which to bloom yeah
1: unfortunately he did uh he ha- got the the two cats he was supposed to bond with and did bond with uh they actually outlived him he uh ended up with a tumor on the adrenal gland something that is like so rare in cats common in dogs yes. but very rare in cats so rare that when my vet said she suspected that's what it was and she only suspected it because she'd seen it one other time in her career um she sent us to a specialty veterinary clinic out here called South Paws, and um when the emergency room vet there because he was having trouble breathing when we got there And they had him on oxygen. She came out and she said, so what are you here for? And I said, a sonogram, they're going to look for tumor on the adrenal gland. And she said, oh, you're, that's crazy. She said, cats don't get tumors on the adrenal gland. She said, I've never seen one. She says, I've worked here so long. It's pathetic. I've never seen that. And she went and talked to the uh, guy that was going to the tech that was going to do the sonogram. And he's like, no, I've never seen one of those. And they came out about an hour later and said, yeah, you got a really great vet there. (laughs) Isn't it it great when you win the lottery? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like the world's worst lottery, right? Yeah. I I had a great vet. She unfortunately retired about a year ago.
0: I don't mean, I'm um, sorry. I don't mean the lottery. Obviously, you you did win the lottery having such a great vet who, despite- You know, who, I mean, because so many doctors get so caught up in, in what they read in books or what they know from historical experience that they refuse to accept evidence that indicates otherwise in the yep. present moment. Um, I, of course, mean that your cat had this incredibly rare affliction for a cat. So how how old was he when, I mean, how many years did you live with him? He was around two when you adopted um, him.
1: He only lived to about maybe Twelve or thirteen years old, which is not horribly short.
0: I mean, it's
1: you know, ideally it can be.
0: Yes, I mean, and it always (laughs) is. But there, it's you. You didn't lose him at seven, God forbid, or 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 something like that. No,
1: the one we lost really early. um, I think I sent you a picture of uh, a quilt I did of him, quilted wall hanging. Um, His name was Jack. And we got Jack when he was less than a year old and he died when he was four, he got lung cancer. Oh, wow. Was, was, was he a smoker? Okay. No,
0: I'm kidding. Obviously your cat was not a smoker, but uh, but yeah, he,
1: um, he actually, I'll say he actually had intestinal cancer that spread to the lungs. Oh, poor thing. Oh, poor thing. You know, it's uh, but I, I, I do always say it, it really,
0: and it's a tough thing to remember, but our, our jobs are to give them great lives, whether those lives are long or short, you know, my mm-hmm. sister, now her, her dog has, has cancer and he's seven years old and, and they're still trying to determine what the prognosis is. And, and it may turn out to be treatable, but this is the conversation that, that she and I were having and her dog right now. He had surgery and, and he's feeling good right now. Um, but, but that this is sort of the, I I always think of in, in the queen where the the character of queen Elizabeth as played by Helen Mirren is recounting when she took her, you know, when she was, um, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, But when she ascended to the throne and, and the vow that she took and that her whole life, whether it be long or short would be devoted to the service of, of, you know, the, the crown of England. And, and it's sort of that we kind of take the same vow that, that, uh, that, you know, our whole lives and whether the lives we have with our cats will be long or short, that that is, it, it will be about giving them great lives. And, mm-hmm. and that is the job.
1: And when, um, when we lost Jack, I wasn't even sure I was ready for another cat yet. And of course every friend I have was posting on Facebook. Oh, look at this cat over here at this shelter. And there's this cat near you in this shelter and this cat. And I finally Went online and said, okay, guys, quit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I'm not ready yet. And um, I said, My next cat's gonna be seal point, siamese, no snowshoes, no females, it'll be male. Um, you know, I just that's what I want. And I'm it's probably gonna be my last cat. So, you know, because I'm getting older and it's that's what I want. And uh so they all quit. And about two weeks later. I get a phone call from someone in my quilt guild who had no idea I'd even lost a cat, but knew I used to work with Siamese Rescue before they retired. And um, she says, you know, my sister is a um, animal behaviorist with a rescue up in Pittsburgh. And um, she said, somebody brought in a kitten and it's Siamese and they don't have room in their rescue for it. And she said, I just know you used to work with Siamese rescue. Didn't know if you had any ins or outs with anybody in this area that might be um, looking for a Siamese or could foster it or anything else. And um, I said, well, give me some information about it. And so she sends me this picture It's the most gorgeous seal point Siamese you know, just absolutely perfect. And I'm looking at it, you know, it's only like four months old. And I said, yeah, is it a boy or a girl? And she says, Oh, it's, it's male. Like, oh God. <laughs> so I'm talking to Tom and he says, uh, we have to drive to Pittsburgh. He says, you know how far it is to Pittsburgh from here. He says, we'll have a kitten in the car. with us. <laughs> That does not necessarily sound like a great road trip. No. And about 10 minutes later, the girl sends me a, an email and says, Oh, by the way, my sister's coming down this week, the week after down this way, the week after Christmas. And if you know somebody who's interested, she can bring the cat with her. And I'm like, no, dear, we just have to drive about, you know, 40 minutes East. Of
0: here. <laughs> <At> least <laughs> puts a, puts a better, better spin on things.
1: Yes. So, We ended up adopting him and we named him Koa because Koa means brave. Because when when they had gotten Koa at at that rescue, what had happened was he just wandered out of the woods, walked right up to a couple that was walking their German shepherd puppy and said like, hey, guys, want to (laughs) play?
0: That uh, definitely sounds like a very... uh... Definitely a very, you know that there's. I I always wonder, like Clayton is very much like that, and I wonder if he's. um, Sometimes is is he brave or is he just not that smart? I'm
1: never sure, brave or foolish. Who knows?
0: Clayton is 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 such a is such a love of a cat, but I I do not think. I think he he is not as bright as Homer was. Let's say, Um, yeah. But um and and so did koa and thumper overlap? Did Koa ever know Thumper or, or was no. that you adopted no. after Thumper? And and
1: how and so you lost Thumper how long ago? Oh heavens, hang on just one moment. I will have to go take a look over here. Okay, I lost Thumper in 2012. Oh so that is uh
0: a long time ago, and and what would you say you ultimately learned from the experience of of adopting Thumper and and living with him, and and certainly losing him sooner than you would have liked to? What what would you say is is Thumper's legacy about uh, the way that you look at your relationship with cats and and what you learned from it?
1: I learned I'll probably never find one who loves me as much as he did. <laughs> Aw, yeah, I I do know that feeling. But, you know, they, they all have such different personalities and, and it always amazes me how the dynamics in the house totally change every time you lose one. Yes. You know, it's like everybody has a complete personality change. Well, it's, you know, I I think it's, I mean, a lot of our
0: personal, of our familial relationships, right there, there's the way that our personalities are, I guess, sort of in a vacuum, but really, it's always about the interaction and and especially within a family, what your personality is depends so much upon the interaction that you have with other people in a family. I think everybody knows that experience of feeling like you go back to your parents' house and, and you're a kid again, or or the, the sibling who really pushes your buttons and, and you feel like you're almost a different person when you're with your family. And then as you get older and you begin to lose members of your family, you really do realize the extent to which that is true, not necessarily in a bad way. But there is you know the, the person that you are when you're interacting with other members of your family is not the same person as when the members of those family you know the, those family members are are gone. and I think that's as true for our cats as it is for ourselves. Oh yeah. Well, Patty, thank you so much for for coming on the show and for telling us uh, your your wonderful adoption story and your horrifying band Saw story. <laughs>
1: Oh, wasn't a band saw. It was
0: not a band saw. I'm sorry. What kind of a saw was it? It was a table saw. It was, I I don't even know the names of the tools because I was never allowed to use them.
1: It was a table saw with something called uh, dado blades in it. Uh, That Uh, sounds very scary. Yeah. (laughs) Dado blades aren't made to cut your board in half. They're made to make a notch in it. So they were set to make a three quarter inch wide cut. I'm I'm shuddering right now. Well, as I said, thank,
0: thank you for both stories. One a delightful and heartwarming cattail. One more of a cautionary tale about um, what to do and not do when when demonstrating the proper use of table sauce. Yes, <laughs> and and please do give Nikolaka and and Co a big hugs for for all of us who are listening today. Okay. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to seeing you all again next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, Head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.